All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fuckadelics? What the fucking nucks? Sometimes I feel good about saying those things. Sometimes I feel like they're silly. Uh, but other times I realize it is what we do here. Today on the show, Lou Barlow, the other half of Dinosaur Jr. and the uh, the front man, the man behind Sebado, is on the show. A very earnest, uh, intense conversation, some good music at the end. We get into the uh, Jay Maskus, Lou Barlow relationship a little bit, as some of you know, or you people who are deep, deep in the WTF rabbit hole, or, or at least deep into the music ones. Remember that, uh, you know, Jay Maskus and I talked a little bit about that. Jay Maskus, and uh, it's interesting, man. It is interesting to hear the other side of it, to hear the uh, when I heard him play. You know, look, I've listened to Dinosaur Jr., I've listened to Sebado in my life, but obviously before I talked to each of these guys, I filled my head back up with the music, went through the entire Sebado catalog to, uh, to prepare my brain to engage with Lou. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, man, you know, Dinosaur Jr., equal parts, equal parts. Gotta say, love you, Jay, but equal parts, it seems. I don't know. Look, who the hell knows about relationships? Who the fuck knows how those work, how they deteriorate, how the tension begins, really, how it is upheld, how it is transcended? I don't... Look, I, I think this is the first time I've been alone and not out of my mind on something or somebody in a long time. Obviously, a different kind of relationship. I'm transitioning a bit. Look, before I forget, you know, if you didn't check in on Thanksgiving, we put an episode up with John Heffron. It's a great episode, especially if you're a comic or want to listen to some comics talk shop for about a half hour. Uh, I didn't realize how much we got into it, but uh, I don't think there's been a conversation quite like that on my show. So go pick up that John Heffron episode if you if you missed it. We dropped it on Thanksgiving. Also, I'd like to mention that uh, Will Farrell will be on the show next Monday, which is our 450th episode. Will Farrell on Monday, very candid chat with the probably the funniest man in the world, probably the funniest man in the world. It was insane sitting there talking to him because he's just, you know, he's a guy, pretty low key guy, as a matter of fact, sweet guy. But, you know, you're sitting across from Will Ferrell and I just got this dumb smirk on my whole face, on my whole face. My whole face was smirking like something funny's about to happen any second. It's going to happen right out of his head. That guy, Will Ferrell, is going to make me laugh. That happened a few times, but we also had a very nice conversation. I will tell you that. Hold on. Pow! Look out. Just shit my pants. Just coffee.coop available at WTFpod.com. Haven't done one of those in a while. It's a classic. Did I just call myself classic? I have no idea what my computer does. I have no idea. I know I barely use it for anything, but I have no idea how it works. I don't know your life, but I am beholden to the person that knows how to fucking fix my goddamn computer. I will panic at anything. And I, you know, it's, you know, it's weird that we live in a time where you need, you need a computer guy and you need to find somebody, you need to, you know, trust a guy because they can look at everything about you. Like literally this dude that I have, this guy, Jeremy, Jeremy Falk, Mac man, the Mac man, you can, uh, if you're in Los Angeles area, you can go to macmannow.com and, uh, Jeremy's a, he's a Mac wizard. But now I know he also knows everything about me. This is how weird the culture we live in is, is that 
there's a certain amount of transparency that you can't avoid. Like on Twitter and stuff, all right, I'm on Twitter, but that doesn't mean I need people tweeting when they they see me at a restaurant and they t- and they say like, "Hey, I just I saw Mark Marin. I didn't talk to him, but here he is sitting by himself at Cantor's." Look, maybe maybe when I'm alone at Cantor's on a fucking Friday night by myself eating cabbage soup and a half a sandwich, perhaps that's alone time. You think maybe that's alone time? I I'm glad you noticed me and you thought maybe you could come talk to me. You probably could have. But, uh, you know, sometimes, like, like I, look, I wasn't out, uh, you know, wearing chaps somewhere, hanging from a harness or doing something sordid and something that I'm hiding from the world, but I was eating cabbage soup and, uh, and having a half a sandwich at Canners in a booth by myself. And, you know, on some levels, that's, that's equally as embarrassing. There is such transparency because it's very easy for people to know a lot about you if you're out in the world with social network or anything else. And you just sort of have to gauge, well, what have I, what have I really, what am I hiding? No, nothing too embarrassing. But anyways, I do have a guy. You got to have a guy. You got to have a computer guy. How are you going to get by without your guy? Jeremy Falk, the Mac man, is my guy, and he's available. I told him I'd tell you, all right? I told him I'd tell you. He, you know, a few people use him, a few people of my ilk. It's amazing when you are alone and you're not acting out too much uh in doing whatever you do whether it be ice cream you know porn um you know just sitting around watching television uh if you're a drug person the drinking whatever but if you if you sort of limit whatever it is that you're doing to avoid yourself and you just sit with yourself uh it turns out i think i'm probably it feels like emotionally if i'm going to be honest with myself i'm probably 14 and i think that's up a few years from the last time i might have said something like that so i am growing up but uh, i'm still a little nervous you know puberty is tough and uh, you know, you know, feeling confident in the world is fucking ridiculous. I'm a grown man, grown ass man, does a lot of shit inside, just a fucking child sometimes. No surprises there. So I guess leading up to what I was about to say, my dad's birthday was on the thirtieth, and as some of you know, because you listen to me, I've not talked to my father in probably almost a year. Because he was upset with me, and I was not uh, feeling bad about that. You know, he was upset with uh, the portrayal of him on the show, which I thought was maybe not completely flattering, uh, at least humorous and honest, and not uh, and not damning in any way. Uh, I think it was uh, endearing, and uh, in my mind, I, I sort of went easy on him. But he was upset. But I just decided I want I didn't want to deal with my father. I just didn't want to deal with him. And it's a, you know it's a weird thing. It's a painful thing. Because you get to a certain age and you're like, am I really doing that? Am I really, I'm, I'm not going to talk to my dad. Look, he's got problems. I got problems. We got problems. Whatever. He's an old fucking man. He just turned 75. That's not, you know, I mean, that's old. So he's my old dad. And I'm not talking to him. Then you start to think, well, what if I die? Or what if he dies? And we're left with this thing. Did you, did you get to talk to your dad before he left? Did, did he get to talk to you before you went? I guess no one would be asking you that because you'd be dead. But... And you don't want to be one of those people. It's like, no, we weren't talking and live with that. But also, what's the big deal after a certain point? I mean, what do you? what's the fight you're fighting? I mean, for fuck's sake. You know, I've always said that on some level, and I've said this before, a father and son relationship is really just a, you know, on some deep level, it's a battle to the death. I know that's cynical and uh, maybe uh, dramatic, maybe a bit poetic, but I think it's true. So I call my father and I just chose not to, I just chose to go in with happy birthday. How you doing? He happened to be in a relatively chipper mood and we had a nice discussion 
Um, we, you know, he talked for about 15 minutes about he, how he's not, uh, he's given up on his system to win the lottery after hours of research, clearly time well spent. So yeah, that's what my dad does. And, and I just sort of focused in on like, all right, and he's like going on and on about the lottery and how he had a plan to win it, but he's given up on that plan. And I just, I noticed in his cadence and in the way he frames things that, you know, he is sort of a master of, uh, of kind of just going on and on. And, uh, you know, I think I have that. I think I have that gene as, as is indicated by what's happening right now. But, you know, he told me that he was upset about this and about uh, the TV show and everything. And, you know, it was a little passive aggressive and a little weird and manipulative, but he's my dad. And you know what? You know what? Ultimately, you get to a certain age where it's like, what, what are you fighting? You know, just like it is, you know, the, it, he, he is what it is. And, and quite frankly, I think, uh, I think I won. I think I won. We don't know who's going to die first, but... But uh, ultimately, there's there's no fight anymore. There's just just this, there's just nothing to fight about anymore. I prepared mentally. Uh, I uh, I reinforced my boundaries. <laughs> did some did some buttressing, some spackling, and I said, "All right, I'm going to get on the phone with this guy, and I'm not going to become a child. I'm not going to let him get to me. He's not going to get in there and make me feel like shit. I got my armor on. Let's go. I'm ready for battle." Eh, and then it was just a conversation with an old guy who happens to be my dad. All right, let's talk to Lou Barlow. What do you record on now? Do you record on GarageBand? <laughs> no, I mean, I have, I got Pro Tools, I guess. Like you very, do? Very, I bought the very first uh, commercially available, you know, like yeah. for the you know, every man, layman's right. um, Pro Tools in, I think, ninety. Nine or two thousand, I bought it. So you had a, I mean, that's a big thing to learn, right? I mean, yeah, I'd watched over the shoulder of many, many engineers doing it over the time. Yeah, I, in in the history of your ninety record career, how many? <laughs> yeah, I keep, you, This is one of those things where, like, yeah, Lou Barlow wants to wants to talk and and do the show, and I'm like, and then I, I start looking, it's like oh, I like Sabadone, I listen to a couple of the solo things, and then I'm like, but he's done nine hundred records. <laughs> yeah. Where did he find time to do the nine hundred records? That's easy. Yeah? You know. You it, just, it just accumulates. I don't really know how it happens. How old are you now? I'm 40. I just turned turned 47 a couple of days ago. <clears throat> so you lost four cats? Yeah. And you, you have no idea? Were they well, all? I know one got bit by a raccoon, but he was he had three legs. He got hit by a car, had three legs, but he just loved going outside so much we couldn't, couldn't refuse it. And it was over in Silver Lake? Yep. And the other three just mysteriously... They all mysteriously disappeared. But we also had a a baby around the same time so it was yeah. almost like they were just like they you know when they saw the baby like fuck it yeah we're, we're not the gonna, babies around yeah. here <laughs> we're not gonna get the attention we deserve <laughs> yeah. why is this happening yeah i've been listening to the older records okay the sevado records and it, this is the first one in years right yeah it's the i they say 14 years and, and what do you say i don't know i don't count <laughs> the last one was 90 99 i guess uh-huh you know, just after I moved here, I did a record, and uh, yeah, we didn't do any until we put out an EP last year. So. And and who's the lineup? Is it the original lineup? Or it's no? not original, original. It's uh, me and Jason Lowenstein, who are original. Right. And then uh, we've had a few drummers over right. the years. But so. uh, who's it, Eric Gaffney? Yeah, he's a, he was our, he, he and I were the, like sort of the originators of the band, and then Jason joined shortly after that, when he was, I think Jason was 15. Yeah. When he joined the band. Do you, I mean, it, well, what happened with Eric Gaffney? <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric is a, he's a 
I don't, I mean, he's one of the most inspiring figures in my life. Yeah. You know, um, he, when I met him, we were in, like really into hardcore punk rock. You right. Know? And he really liked my band Deep Wound that I had with Jay Mascus. And Jay was drummer of that. And, yep. And that was just straight up like pounding punk pounding, rock. Pounding super fast, blur, blurry, but, you know. But how old were you when you were in that band? You were a kid, right? 16, 15, 16. I mean, it's just it. it what, what's interesting if I when I listen to Deep Wound now is that the you sort listen of, to it. <laughs> I did. I listened to it a little bit. Cool. But no. But there's a the, the the thing that came out of punk rock, and I think there's something that you and Jay sort of you know kind of invented was there's a sonic quality that that sort of rides out. The, not the beat or the pace or the screaming, right. but a breaking apart that oh. continues through all of it. You know, through whatever they call lo-fi or, or anything else. There's there's an edge of right. chaos yeah. that is a lot more melodic as things goes on but it right. seems like if you really just especially if you listen to punk rock on a shitty speaker yeah. you're like that. that is what kind of evolved into a sound uh, mm -hmm. that was not punk rock can you see that? Um, kind of? yeah well no I, that hardcore punk rock what I liked about it was that all the bands sounded different and there was a totally collapsing part of it right. you know, where it was falling apart actually you're sort of describing it in a really good way because a lot of this stuff became very militant and very structured right you know and it became like a very i mean right now what people describe as punk rock and what they play is very structured and it's right. very um to me it's kind of straight and kind of right there, there's very, a you know like regimented and people have oh this is the way i think and i love this and i love and uh but the what i really loved about it was the pure chaos of it because right. you had like um you know stuff like black flag and then then something like the meat puppets who were truly crazy and flipper this band from right, San Francisco who were yeah. just like nuts nuts like I mean, just where the guitar was just this rolling crazy mass of just you couldn't pick anything out of it and and they were just really uh nihilistic but at the same time like almost like the most human sort of there was such a humanity to it at there, the same time. It was time. raw. Beca raw because, yeah, because yeah. out of that, that weird nihilism and that chaos, it's like it, it's almost like, I, I mean, it, it may not be a good comparison, but only like when you like watch Iggy Pop early on, mm -hmm. or you even watch him now, yeah. there, there's something it's severely human and quite disturbing about whatever the fuck he's doing up there, yeah. just physically. Yeah. And I think that punk, with all the noise, there were still guys beating the shit out of themselves and their instruments, and there's nothing more human than beating yeah. the shit out of yourself. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it, it's, yeah, but you're right, though. The chaos of that, I mean, that, that is something that I think I took that part and then carried it on to, you know, other pursuits, you know, right. punk rock to me, like I said, it just got a little... Well, I'm also, safe. it seems like punk rock also became almost like metal in its math in yeah, its mathematics. Totally. That there was a there was like yeah, a, there was a real split because like we had you know in Deep Wind with it was Jay and I and then we had our bass player Scott and Scott joined like a speed metal band like he got really right. into like because Metallica's early cassettes were floating around right and half the kids who were into hardcore got into this real tight wristed did, 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 you know right, Metallica right. stuff which is so ner you know nerdy to me right. And so uh, safe, and I'll repeat myself, but it was it. And then, but what Jay and I kind of gravitated towards was the stuff that was just like either really beautiful. I mean, even like the early REM records, yeah, 
and uh, then really like crazy stuff like the birthday party, then industrial stuff like SPK, Throbbing Gristle. And what's that one? Eisenstadt and Neubach? Yeah, Einstorz and Neubach. Einstorz and Neubach. Collapsing new structures. Einstorz and Neubach. But see, it wasn't there like, and you were only 16 or 17, you guys, but I mean, and I'm only a couple years older than you, but there was, uh, you know, outside of just punk rock, I mean, all that stuff, industrial and all this other stuff, certainly stuff that was coming over from Europe, seemed to have this full philosophy behind it that was rooted in art yeah in a way and yep. you know on and, and on some level i remember as a younger person thinking like well this is a way of life and yeah. i don't understand it yeah. so i'll listen to one or two records and i can never just listen to the sounds of it because i'm not really a musician right. i always felt like there was some bigger thing i didn't fucking understand that this was all part of yeah. and i needed to understand all that yeah did you i did well i, I never really felt a part of anything in particular that's yeah but I did see what you're saying. I mean, like, God, these guys were wearing suits <laughs> and like playing drills, you know, <laughs> like, whoa. And this they had you much know, bigger than me. It's what bigger than me. They're smarter <laughs> than me. They're exactly. Much higher than I am. <laughs> right. Know? It's fucking insane. Yeah. All right. So, but so you knew Eric back then. Like, I'm, I'm forgive me if I'm, I'm, I don't know all my, uh, my, my history, history and chronology oh, of, of your life. But I, I know that, uh, that the first Sebado records were with him. Yeah, he and I really bonded very early on about the band Flipper. And, yeah. And, and how old were you guys? He met you during uh, Deep Wounds, so... We would have been 18, 19. But he, wasn't, he didn't work with you in Dinosaur, did he? No, he didn't. We almost had him try out for drums. Oh, we did. We actually tried him out for drums with Dinosaur. Yeah. And he didn't cut it. Cause, yeah. Because Jay's very particular, and Eric's a really very... An amazing kind of Keith Moon drummer. Like, he just plays whatever he feels. One day, he's the greatest drummer on earth. The next day, he can barely play. You know, yeah. he's just amazing spirit, this guy. Like, just totally, which I really gravitated towards. And he uh, he and I just started swapping tapes that we had recorded, like, when we were kids with each other. Like, what, what this, yeah, like, this is a, cassettes are, b- are yeah. a big part of our lives and, and yeah. your life, too. It's, yeah. it, it's, it, there was a time where, you know, that it meant something. A cassette, sure. And just, they were cassettes. You had cassettes that your parents made of you when you were 10. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, my, my father used to force us to do letters to my grandma about a cassette. Yeah. You're like, okay, it's time, your turn. You're like, hi, grandma. <laughs> it's Louie. I'm playing baseball, you know. Yeah. So we always had these little recorders around, and I started to use them to record songs and record my sisters and make prank phone calls record oh, prank yeah. phone calls and then, remember that little thing you got at radio chef yep. that you could stick that on thing the phone was awesome the best thing in the world was great yeah. it sounded good with a guitar you put it on a guitar too and it sounded really good you took but, one of those sticky things that you could stick on the receiver onto the guitar yeah onto an acoustic yep and it, it sounded good it sounded amazing sounds like completely distorted and you know that was my first before i got amplifiers and things like that so that was it that it was, was it. the sticky thing from the radio show. Yeah, and then also just you know how you get those little plastic mics too yeah that you could play into you'd have a stereo with Maybe a cassette player and an eight track on it. Right. And a, and a turntable. Right. So we had one of those. My parents had one and I could just sort of rig it so I could put a microphone into a guitar, play it out through the speakers and it would just be God, crazy. It's that that so awesome. That, that signature crunch. Yeah. It just was, sounded great. And yeah. And that's when I, so Eric and I would, we would swap tapes yeah, that yeah, we yeah. made when we were kids. Yeah. And we were also interesting, interestingly to me now thinking about it, but um, he, we also just were really into Christianity. Like, we love talking about Jesus and religion. Were you and brought up with it? I was, yeah. Like, I was raised Roman Catholic. He was a he was a bit of a ch- uh, hippie child. Uh-huh. Or he was a hippie child. Uh, he... So, we just talked about Jesus all the time. We went to Bible readings and study. What, was it... A, was, did you... 
were you, were you looking to? Did you believe, or were you uh, condescending it, or you didn't know? You just we didn't know. We yeah. were just curious. I mean, we were both like experimenting a lot. I mean, we were taking a lot of acid. You were not a lot, lot. Yeah, he took more than me, but uh, taking some acid. You know, trying to score weed all the time, and somehow that was all just went hand in hand with us. We didn't really Jesus weed and acid. <laughs> just, yeah, it was all like the same pursuit. It was it was funny. You know, it was like we were kind of into a. I mean, I wouldn't. I hate saying. That I was, we were a spiritual pursuit, but we kind of were. You know, yeah, we kind of. That's kind of what we were into, and the music actually was a big part of it as well. Yeah, somehow. And and so okay, but you didn't lock in with him to, in a band sense until later. You until a, maybe a year or so later. But this was all in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's in Western Mass. Yeah. Is that where you grew up mostly? Yes, I did. You, but you Westfield. weren't. You weren't born there. No, I was born in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that? A little bit. I mean, yeah. I was there till I was eleven. My, yeah, and uh, my dad actually worked with Iggy Pop's mom. Like, really? Yeah, that was like that was a thing. I kind of knew about Iggy sort of early on. What did your dad do? I mean, what was he was a manager at a, an abrasives plant, Bendix Abrasive. I Bendix think they, Abrasives. Was, yeah, they made like a <laughs> car brakes, you know, sure. and so or something. Else. And so when the automobile industry collapsed in Michigan, like in the in the late seventies, that's yeah. when we moved to Massachusetts. But he worked with Iggy Pop's mom. He's yes. Just, but, so, you, you know, he would tell you, like, you know, this woman I work with, Mrs. Osterberg, mm-hmm. you know, her son is a musician. Yeah, and when he did, he did this whole thing in Cincinnati that was televised, where Iggy. he spread himself with peanut butter. Yeah, right. Iggy. He spread himself with peanut butter and just, and it was, it was this amazing thing where they were doing this live, there was a live festival in Cincinnati, and it was being broadcast as if it was a sporting event. Because <laughs> it was at Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. <laughs> so, you had Alice Cooper playing, and then, like, I think Leonard Skinner, I, I don't know. Sure. What. But he totally, he spread himself with the peanut butter. So yeah. there's an actually announcer going, he's spreading himself with peanut butter now. <laughs> the crowd is passing him along, you know, so it's, it's being, it's really crazy. It's on, it's, I'm sure it's on YouTube. But. And, and your dad's like, I work with his mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Abrasives. So he left, he left after the industry collapsed and then yeah, set up came, shop in. Uh, yeah, in Massachusetts. And what did he do there? Well, it was actually it was abrasives yeah. really yeah it was I, like a bunch of people a bunch of like they they basically transplanted a bunch of families from michigan to massachusetts so. yeah and was I mean, he uh did he like music i mean what yeah he liked music they but they weren't like big fans i mean we didn't have a lot of records in the house growing no. up or anything and what'd your mom do over there she would just she would work secretarial jobs she yeah. loves your show by the way she does <laughs> she does <laughs> she's she's really scared about what i'm gonna say oh really oh my um, god i didn't know i had that reach you know you do uh she loves it but um she she worked secretarial jobs and you know assistant sort of clerical well stuff. did she know that her, her son was uh you know running around you know high to bible studies and taking acid mm, in the basement i don't know no, they actually. Do you they feel really, bad now? They did. I mean, you got to figure they they know you turned out all right, right? I turned out okay. They're proud. They're happy. They seem okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they worry. They but, do. Yeah. Well, I, well, I know it's weird when you when you choose the life we've chosen, and all of a sudden you find yourself in your mid forties, and, and still the only thing you could say is like, "Well, I got a gig." You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like well, we're yeah. playing at this place. You know, oh. but yeah, I mean, I have to assume though. You know, given your catalog and, and, you know, you've done this this thing that when people think about musicians and certainly sort of, you know, indie style musicians, you know, people that have avoided uh, the, the the mainstream kind of rock profile is that, you know, you build a big enough catalog and you hold on to your fans long enough, you can sort of make a living. You can. <laughs> yeah. 
I talked to Jay. I saw Jay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I saw him uh, recently at the Sub Pop thing, and I talked to him oh, in here. Okay. You know, yep. I, you know, and it was it was interesting because he, you know, I know he wanted to do the show, and then for about twenty minutes, I was like, Can he, "Is he going to talk soon?" Yeah. You know, he's a very sweet guy, and, and I hung out with him. But uh, you know, obviously, people want to hear about you guys, and uh, but it, it, if if you hadn't been fired or whatever happened from yeah. Dinosaur Junior, I mean, yeah. Sebado wouldn't have happened. No, I had Sebado going before. Oh, we, you the first album, the, uh, the first the couple first albums? The first cassettes, we, we did two cassettes while I was still in Dinosaur. Which was Freed... Uh, the, Freed the Freed Man, yeah. and then uh, something called Weed Forest. Now, you, you probably told the story a million times before. I, I always learn something new about it when I tell it again. Well, <laughs> so, did you listen to his interview with me? No, I didn't. I was really afraid because I thought he was... I was kind of terrified because i'm like oh god he'll just say so because he always he always says the most withering shit <laughs> you know like it and and i'm so sensitive to it and i'm so sort of like he's he's such a huge figure in my life you know and and i've never really figured him out so he's he's uh but he always says like stuff like well bass doesn't matter you know he's like, what <laughs> and then you know I always learn little bits about, you know, what he thinks about me on these things. So I was really scared to listen to it. And so when people, when it actually came out, I was like, so what did he say? Did he say anything? <laughs> he, you know what he said? He said, you got a girlfriend and, and you he started you, to talk to me. That was, that's the party. That's his thing. It's like, he started to talk too much and I didn't like what he was saying. It's like, like, oh God. That's, that's like, the party geez. line. That's, he said that for years and it's just like, what the fuck? It just, I mean, it still like gets me. I'm still like, oh God, that hurts. But but that's not horrible. I mean, you had a girlfriend at least. Oh, I did. <laughs> I did. It was great. No, it was great. I got a girlfriend and I, yeah, and I definitely be, started to become my own person. I became more confident and, uh, you know. I well, how old are you guys? Because like, okay, so the story is you're in Deep Wound. You need a drummer. You know, Jay comes and auditions for you and he's a good drummer. He's amazing, yeah. Yeah, he's he is sort of a savanty kind of dude. He is, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, who was I talking to? The kid from Kyle from uh, King Tuffy, right? And he said he was in a van with uh, Jay, and they were they were driving a few hours, and like he had an acoustic guitar, maybe even an electric guitar. And they said he said like he started a solo about ten minutes into the drive, and it went on for four hours. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's like, and if he's not actually soloing on a guitar, he's doing it just with his mouth. Really? <laughs> when he plays air drums all the time. <laughs> all right, so he comes in. Now, what what is the beginning of your relationship musically? I mean, when did you start to sort of build the, the Dinosaur Junior thing? Um, 1985. Yeah. Late 84, 85. I was I had just graduated from high school. Jay Hid was a uh, uh, freshman at UMass Amherst. So you were what? No, a year apart? Yeah. So I was like 21, 22. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was 22. I think, you know, yeah, I don't know. And you were bringing to it, like, you know, what his music influences were kind of odd. I mean, they were, you know, he, he was a little, he was kind of rock oriented, right? He was, but I mean, he had, he had just an amazing collection of punk rock records. And is that where you guys bonded around? Is oh, punk? yeah, sure. Yeah. And yeah. then I sort of, I was really into domestic hardcore, you know, like the stuff from DC, you know, like that. Um, Discord Records, you know, Henry Rollins, yeah, SLA, yeah, 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 yeah. his early stuff. Fugazi? Like, yeah, yeah, pre-Fugazi, Minor Threat. You yeah. know, minor Threat, SOA, government issue. Do you remember what stuff. your first record was? The, my first. Yeah, record where you're like, this is a good record. 
Uh, I bought this. I got the mail ordered something called the Teen Idols, which was the first record on Discord Records, uh-huh. and that was kind of like whoa. You know, yeah, there's a, this is like really. I mean, there's so many other examples of that, but that record in particular was like because it was just these kids from DC, obviously making their own record, and right, right, and it was so thrilling. And they had this this weird straight edge philosophy too. And at that time, I hadn't really done drugs, so I just like yeah, oh, let's do that. Let's not do let's, those. Let's, let's not. <laughs> let's continue to not do drugs. <laughs> In honor of DC <laughs> hardcore, that didn't last long. Didn't last long. All right, so when so you guys, st- how many, how much did you, how much deep wound did was Jay on those early records? Yeah, yeah. We did one. We did one record, a seven inch that had nine songs on it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. And then when uh, when did you decide to do the other thing? Uh, eighty five, eight, like late eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, sort of hardcore scene was kind of not really thrilling us so much. And yeah, there was a big influx of what i guess was at the time would be college rock like rem mission of burma right um, that's when i reached for my revolver exactly like yeah. that single was a huge deal and uh right, that's right and then uh, yeah i remember seeing them when i was in college yep and there was a band called the neats maybe yeah. you saw the neats did you see them or, I, i'm trying to they're from boston same record label when i was in boston it was like 81 okay so like it was uh, the dogmatic scruffy yep. the cat yep. uh <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw Steve Albini at the rap on a solo uh, at the Rat on a yeah. solo venture yeah. of some kind. The Del Fuegos. Del Fuegos. We played a lot with the Del Fuegos. Zane, well, Zane, I think from the Del Fuegos is a big kids rock, he a is. kids music thing. He is. He is. is it, doesn't it amaze you? That, like as a guy that sort of half invented, you know, that world of uh, indie rock later on, you know, redefined it anyways. I mean, I know as a comic, you've been doing something for half your life. Yeah since you were pretty much a kid and then you kind of see guys where you haven't seen them for like 15 years you're like oh you're still alive huh yeah. what have you been up to yeah yeah it's weird right his story is cool who zane yeah his story is awesome like he yeah became a huge kids music star yeah. and i saw him in tucson he was because he was in tucson working to like help people across the border from mexico so he really? has this huge he's got this incredible like you know generous political side thing this guy's just perfect yeah right (laughs) i'm making kids music and helping people and they were the guys that got like nailed for no reason they were like the first like kind of you know punky indie band that did a beer commercial and it kind of fucked their credibility right Right, you remember remember there was this rap on they had the studio record and then they did the miller commercials like fuck the del fuegos right those records are good though right all right so you and jay so dinosaur you know what was the vision there what was the what was the transition like? Let's stop the punk rock shit. Well, and we just Jay wrote the very first dinosaur record is based, him just writing you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen songs, all of which were stylistically different from each other. And which which album is that called? It's called Dinosaur. That's okay. I have just that dinosaur. One. Yeah, yeah. Self titled. I just got that one. Yeah, and they were. This was just. This was done at the time that we were coming. We were just going to Boston all the time, yeah. playing at Chet's last call, the Rat. Um, you know, I think. Yeah, anyway. Bun raddies. Bun raddies. <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, so he just wrote a bunch of songs that were all totally different and all, like, amazing. Like, he would just totally compose the songs, had incredible lyrics. Like, it was like, he, he was a freshman at UMass, and he, I think he had a writing class or something. So something was, like, he was writing these incredible, like, lyrics, you know, with incredible stories in them. Yeah. And, and uh, was just exploding creatively, and I... And uh, he, I didn't even think he wanted me in the band because I knew he didn't like me. You know, <laughs> I was like, I just once, once Deep Boom broke up, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll never see that guy again. Really? I but did. did you I feel did. that he liked anybody though? Really? I oh mean, yeah, he liked people. 
<laughs> but, but not you. <laughs> he didn't like me. No, he, he yeah, some people he really liked. Yeah. You know, um, what, was it contentious? He must have respected your ability to play. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he did, but everything was so personal back then. I didn't think, I mean, I didn't think that my, you know, my eagerness to play would somehow overcome how annoying I was for him, you know, so. But what was it exactly? I mean, what do you, what, when you, when you sort of think about it, because I'm fascinated with this with bands in general, is that, it seems to me that some great bands, they, when they do break up, it's yeah. right when everything is fucking great. It, yeah. to, to all of us listening, yeah. we're like, they're in. Right. They're, here they go. Yeah. And then it's like some bullshit happens. Mm -hmm. And you've been in, an, in and out of bands and had these problems. But what was the, the primary thing? What, that, was it jealousy? Was it like, you know, what? I don't, I don't know. Yeah? He just really seemed really annoyed by me. And so when I would talk to him, I would get really nervous. And then the nerves would then be, like, compounded by the, the huge silences that he would, like, I would call him on the phone and, oh, hi, did you hear this new single or whatever? You know? Yeah. long pause. Well, look, okay. I mean, just, like, <laughs> phone calls with him became so incredibly, they were so incredibly painful. That I would just uh, fill it with space, just words, and, just, and I would just like talk out my ass. Like, I don't know what to say. I'd just trying to fill these gaps, and then he would then just judge me for the, the shit I was filling the gaps in with. Oh, know? so you just wait, and then he'd pick it apart. Oh, then, he just, then he would just wait until some particular time and just fucking pick me apart and devastate me in front of friends. You know, like we're sitting at a KFC somewhere. Uh, I hate the way you eat chicken. Oh, I hate, you know, it's just like, what the fuck? It's like I hate the way you talk to waitresses, and I'm like, like what? Like, <laughs> oh my god! Just, just it's like an abusive relationship. It was an emotionally difficult, it was, yeah, abusive. Rel but what was Murph like? Any sort of mediator? Was there? Yeah, any he was. Yeah, Murph was just this kind of bouncing free spirit, you know, among us. You know, I mean, he was very confused by Jay and angered by him, but he would just, you know. He was just a real. The, well, you guys are the rhythm section. Yeah. I think they take a, you know, I, I and I maybe I'm wrong, and you can tell me. I just find that bass players and drummers have a stability yeah. that 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 guitar players and singers don't necessarily have. Mm. I mean, like they. I mean, it's, maybe I'm using. I'm seeing it as a metaphor. What they do, yeah. like they they need to be the backbone of something. But yeah, well, no, totally. I mean that that happened. I mean, I really focused with Murph to become a real rhythm section. You know. And it was a lot of like tame, taming Murph, Murph's style to fit Jay's vision. So, and, oh, so you guys sort of had to, you kind of had to interpret Jay, yeah, and try to get you know Murph sort of in in line with get that him in thing. line, Just and then get Murph in line, so you so could they, follow Jay, so we could follow Jay. And I believed in Jay, like I kind of was developing a very deep and sick hatred slash jealousy for him uh, yeah. <laughs> with him, but yeah. at the same time, I was totally like completely convinced of his musical agenda yeah completely you know what, what was he, he he wasn't a tyrant though he's kind of a tyrant yeah but you believed in the sounds i so believed in it so uh, yeah absolutely whatever it takes you know so you have that that sort of that personality that you know, because when you talk about eric gaffney or you talk about jay you know that you know if guys have a certain sort of possession or or, or charisma yeah it's sort of like yeah that guy's he's got something i follow yeah <laughs> <laughs> I follow. I'm a follower. Well, I mean, I didn't. I don't. Do you, I'm not saying that in a bad way. No, I, I'm saying it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm saying literally. I fo I like following people. I like if I meet people who have really, who are charismatic and do have like a talent, or they're they're like, you know, if I will find a way to communicate with them and find a common ground and see what will happen. I mean, for 
for the music yeah you know for the music and then obviously personally too because it all goes hand in hand but well i have that too is your father you know, like charismatic guy he is yeah because i i find that like when i try to track you know why you know i will sort of glom on to to lunatics huh you know or people with charisma yeah it's sort of i'm kind of wired that way because you know my dad's sort of like hey, i'm the guy in the middle of the room this yeah. is my show yeah. And there, there's some part of me that's like, oh, that's a guy. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. Really? Yeah. I've never, I've always been kind of, I've never known what, my, like, what I love my father, you know. Right. Uh, and, uh, I, but I've never known what sort of influence, how he's influenced me exactly. Right, right. I mean, I know that I'm not, I'm not exactly that guy. Like, I'm in the middle, you know, that yeah, what yeah, you're describing. Right, right. But there are parts of me that are, is a little bit like that, but I do really like charisma. I like people who kind of seem like, they know where they're going. Right, yeah. It's sort of like, <laughs> that seems like a fun car to be in. It makes yeah. me, it'll be easy. I, I just, I have, I've noticed that in my life around even street lunatics. Mm. Like, you know, if there's, it happened in, I was just in Montreal. If there's mm. a, a guy, you know, screaming at something only he can see, he will stop to ask me a question. Right. He will, and I'm like, am I, is it, am I, is it, am I wide open for this shit? Right. Am I just designed to emotionally symbiotically right. connect to anybody who's like no, I'm the guy who has the thing <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite that but my friend Jason is I mean Jason and Sebado he attract ah, everybody will talk to him you just put him in front of any building and he'll, uh, and he'll walk back come? out and there's just like <laughs> <laughs> people around him <laughs> <There's> <laughs> street people whatever. I mean it's it's amazing so okay so but but you did you were, were able to sort of pull out and do your own musical projects and I think that your songwriting uh, is is you know in some ways you know extremely personal and 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 there's a lot of like I mean when I listen to it like I understand some of the struggles there's a sensitivity there that I I mean I guess Jay's sensitive and and you know and you're you you're, you're I, who when you look at the sound of Dinosaur Junior because I I mean I, I re-listened to Bake Sale and, and Harmony and, and some other stuff recently because yeah. I had to you know I wanted to fill my head up with your shit oh thanks <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's hard. I'm hard. It's I don't know that dinosaur could have been just Jay. It doesn't feel that way to me. It feels mm. like there's you know in the first couple of records and, and it, that the sound was uniquely both of yours. I mean, mm. you listen to Jay now, but then it's it's very weird. I, I don't know what the mm. what you know your fans do or, or if there are Jay camps and 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 Lou camps, which I'm sure there are. A little bit. Yeah. Little do you bit. get a little flack? I get flack. Yeah. 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 As, well, like what? I don't know. I mean, I've said terrible things about Jay once, and they kicked me out of the band. And was was a uh, freed man? Anything was it related to that? It or? wasn't actually, but I mean, it was related. It was a there was a dorm at Smith College because Eric Gaffney and I lived on the Smith College campus. You know, you didn't to, go there. To, no, it's a women's college. So our girlfriends went there, and we we, we basically <laughs> lived on campus. At classic, Smith College. classic musician behavior. Yeah, exactly. So we there was a freedman dormitory that we he and I. We we were sort of uh you know squatting on, on our in our girlfriend's uh, college dorm and, yeah and that's where we there was an empty room and Eric Gaffney and I would kind of use that room to play music and record so and they was, never kicked you out there was never sort of like why nope. is uh, why are those guys <laughs> here <laughs> yeah no they didn't <laughs> that was good so okay so what was that day like when Jay how did Jay was there a fight was there an explosion had you been marginalized to the point where you didn't feel like you had a place in anything well um, well we'd had an incident on incident on stage where we played a song that I wasn't prepared to play and I started to play feedback through the song thinking that I, I was actually thinking that it was a good thing that I was doing and I'm like hey, I'm making feedback you know, yeah great. yeah yeah how creative yeah <laughs> and uh 
the song ended and Jay came over and pretty much tried to hit me with his guitar. <laughs> was that <laughs> said, the I'm three. And like, that's it. I can't take it anymore. And I'm like, I've never played feedback all the way through a song before, but if you can't take the, the general, you know, vibe that's going on, I, I appreciate that. So he came, he came over to me and he just like, he, he tried to hit me and I was just like, I blocked it with my bass and, uh, You guys crossed instruments? Yeah, we did. It was like, yeah. <laughs> it was like epic, epic, yeah, crashing feedback. You know what uh, the audience do? They just stood there. I don't. They know thought it was part did. of the show. I'm sure they did. Yeah, I don't know. Punk and rock, then, man. But I actually felt a, a sense of victory when Jay did that. Like he cracked first. He was, <laughs> I was like, "Aha! I got you!" Like I got him to fucking react because he wouldn't react to anything that ever. You know, it's like it just, yeah. he wouldn't really react, and he would just, just you know, basically was just these. Just uh, just like calm and silence, punctuated with devastating one line, you know, yeah. sections of my personality and all the friends that we have. I mean, and then so I I cracked him, you know, yeah. the, I got him, you know. So I was, but I didn't not that was not my intention, but I was kind of thrilled that it happened, and <laughs> and they kicked me out shortly after that. So <laughs> I, I we have a lot in common, man. There's something about like having a relationship with a control freak. <laughs> that you know that like at some point you know all you're gunning for is for them to like <laughs> and you're like oh see i do have an effect <laughs> you do like me look you're freaking out what's is there some way i can help you uh, uh but okay so they kick you out and 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 you were bitter i was bitter yeah mostly about the way they did it what they, album was that at i mean what had uh, just come we had out? just done bug we done a our great little, album yeah we did the little world tour around that and uh and I played. A, we played a show in L.A. opening for Red Cross at the John Anson Ford Theater. Um, I flew back home from that, and they fired me within a week. I think. Who's they? Jay and Murph. So I mean, he had, he had gotten Murph. He got Murph, and basically made Murph do the talk. And like they walked in, like we're breaking up the band. You know, they're in my apartment in Northampton. Uh, we're breaking up the band. And I'm like, okay. That was it. And they walked out, and then like you know. And then, like, with, pretty soon after that, they're like looking for bass players on MTV, and oh, really? And then they went. I think they went right to Australia after they did that. It was just you know, but it was like Jay's thing. Like the band's broken up. That we had a dinosaur had a singer originally, yeah, that we wanted to get rid of. So we broke up the band for a day, <laughs> then reformed to get, <laughs> to get rid of him. So, oh, so, so it wasn't it wasn't a firing. It was sort of like, well, none of us are gonna. It was a little cowardly. A little, positively cowardly and i was you know really i was obsessed with that for a while you know but you'd done two sebado stuff and then and then yep and then which album did you do you know what was the album where you were free of dinosaur sebado three yeah and that was your big album um yeah we put out Sebado-3. and that was with gaffney that was with gaffney who you, you you called him up after meeting him in high school and said it's time <laughs> yeah well we i mean we just did kept in touch and that's when we got jason lowenstein he was a like 15 years old got him to play drums and he also brought his own songs we were very into like switching instruments because eric was a drummer and a guitar player jason also a guitar player drummer bass player and you play guitar i play guitar and bass and yeah I switch back you know between the two i mean we just played each other's songs and that was well, okay so now let's let's talk a little bit about this sound because you know there is definitely a dinosaur sound but there's also a sebado sound and there's also this sort of thing that I don't know if you, I guess you hear it still, but I, I think that, that our generation was the last to sort of, you know, kind of appreciate and incorporate a lot of analog weirdness and, mm-hmm. you know, cassette tapes and, you know, weird things in the background, but it, yeah. it, it seemed organic. And I guess they call it lo-fi or the first yeah. wave of lo-fi because mm-hmm. there seems to be a new resurgence of what they're calling lo-fi. Yeah. 
But what did it mean to you when, uh, when you got labeled that? Because I can't imagine you were thinking that. No, I, you know, people sort of took it as being like a half-assed way of doing things. I just liked it, you know? Yeah. Because I just grew up with cassettes. I love the texture of cassettes. Right. I love mysterious. I love the ghosts that come out of, like, if you put a bunch of, you know, like tape hiss and rumbling and all this stuff, like there's things start to whisper at you from it, you know? And, True, right? And, and that's how, you know, I would actually form a lot of songs and I would hear the melodies coming out of the noise that I would kind of create. Really? Yeah. You know, you can kind of hear like the, yeah, I, I formed songs that way, especially with 703 and then was doing a lot of like acoustic stuff, but layering it to, to, in such a way that there would be a lot of overtones that were coming off of that and that were, you know, kind of, you know, literally speaking to me. Like what, like what, what were these, what were these things you were playing? Like you would, you would record different things and then run them at the same time to yeah, see what kind of textures they would exactly. come. Exactly. Did you bring outside elements in? What do you mean? Like, like, I mean, like, did you go on the street and record yep, things? We and, did that. Like what? Well, we would go, we would take the tape recorder to Kmart. Really? Yeah. And just walk around Kmart and film or excuse me, not film stuff, but, uh, you know, tape just, things. Record, like, just record little bits. And then we'd make like a lot of, there was a lot of collages, you know, we'd make these just collages of little bits of things and then also incorporate like our, our cassettes from when we were kids. And, uh, and then I was using a lot of like a electric or excuse me, acoustic guitars where it was like, you know, with two or three strings on them with different kind of tunings and then just sort of trying to build songs that way. And people thought that that was, uh, that was, um, uh, amateurish or what? And self-indulgent. Yeah, but the thing <laughs> is, is that like, but that comes from uh, an aesthetic. There are uh, precedents for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the you know, it's sort of noise music and the stuff sure. that like Fred Frith was doing and, yeah. and things like that. Oh yeah, there's so, a huge precedence for it. I mean, that's all. But what's always sort of ridiculous to me is when people go, "Oh, you're the Godfather of lo-fi." I'm like, that's really dumb. <laughs> like, but, I'm not. I'm like part of like, I'm just another kid who's passing this along. But the, well, you're part of a tradition of, of using you know textures, sure. sound and, textures, and to, and also just you know intimate private recording, not necessarily being in a studio or the that kind of clinical atmosphere. Well, th this was also the time where people were like, you know, shut up, little man. And and those tapes were yeah, you know, kind totally. of going around and there was a whole world of, uh, of mm -hmm. scenes yep. and cassettes and things being passed yep. around. Daniel Johnston Daniel was doing Johnston. his yep. his cassettes and there was a there was a, a an a, a, I'd like to say earnestness to it. But there's also kind of this you can't hide. You know, there, mm -hmm. there are things that happen on cassette that are one shot deals, man. Yeah. And you were just kind of layering them up. Yeah. It's, it's not even lo-fi at all. It's just it, it, it would I would think it would be more along the lines of art rock on some level. It was. Yeah, it was. I mean, I did. I it was that way, especially with Seven O Three, and then we kind of. I had to sort of streamline the approach because you know, basically, to make a living, I had to play sh live shows, and <laughs> <There's> that. you can't. <laughs> you know, be I mean, that became like a thing. I was like, well, I got to do this. You know, I actually have to embrace it. So there right, was, I, there was a streamlining that that kind of had to happen out of necessity to right play shows and play songs that you know. And not you know not do purely improvisational shows like well yeah because that, well that's see that's the difference between knowing that you you wanted to you know uh, create something enjoyable as yeah. opposed to just I know it's like I had to make that choice at some point you know where I was just like well it's not going to be improv and tape collages and drag and someone through this three hour <laughs> thing where you're running around turning machines on <laughs> yeah I mean because I, I could have done that I love that I love that part of it you know yeah. I love that that thing and I mean I know. 
you know, and that's very well respected to do that, and it's very kind of. But like when you think about guys who do that, or, the, or guys that you know you you can remember in your life, do you listen to any of that stuff anymore? No. I mean, who are those guys? I mean, I remember having Fred Frith albums, and and those were the records that I remember yeah. being that where yeah. like I had some dude at a record store who was like <laughs> you know in in Albuquerque, some the, dude in the record. There's yep. always that dude, right? That it's dude. like oh, you got to listen to this. Do I have to listen to it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> And then you take it home and you're like, it's, it seems very important. No one else seems to know about this. Yeah. So this guy's really fucking special. And you're just mm. sitting there listening to street sounds for an hour. Yeah. And think like, where's the composition in this? Yeah. There were good things. Remember Ralph Records? Right. The Residence. The Residence. And, uh, Ronaldo and the Loaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snake Finger. That yeah. stuff was pretty catchy. Chew gum, chew, chew gum, chew gum, <laughs> chew gum, chew gum. Chew. Like yeah, the, yeah. the... Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know. I've, I've got a copy of... of, of uh, of Discomo or Eskimo yeah. on white vinyl, nice, and it's just like, <laughs> yeah. But they had songs too. They had they had a, the commercial record, the Residence. right. I think that's one with Chew Gum is on, isn't is it? Is it? It might be. I'm I'm not sure, but that's sixty songs on it. Right, one they're all minute long. Yeah, but it's quite. It's a really catchy, cool record. What that whole world? I mean, what would you call that world? Because like I was there too, and and it was that guy at the record store who was making yeah. me listen to this stuff. Oh God. I still have on vinyl, I think, uh, the George and James album. What's that? What was the Residence? They redid George uh, Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue on one okay, side okay. and James Brown Live at the right. Apollo on the other side yep. in this weird kind of compressed computery. Kind of, yep. It's like, it's not a record you would sit down and listen to. No. <laughs> no, when the Residence, po- I had the Residence on my iPod and every time they would pop up, for a while I was like, it's great, I got to have the Residence on my iPod. Sure. Now they pop up and I'm like uh, leaping uh, off the couch to shut it off. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, because I mean, I will have... You know, my iPod is on random is truly chaotic, but the resonance, I'm like, no. It's it's hard, man. <laughs> and they're still out there and I respect what sure. they did oh, yeah, in this in the stage show is theater, great. Yeah, yeah. With the with the eyeballs. Their eyeballs and, the, and all that stuff. Yeah. But what, but I guess what really what it was do- designed to do, I, I imagine they do have some people that love them, you mm. know, and I do but there is that weird uh, you know, the difference between when you're younger and you're impressionable, which mm-hmm. it seems like we both are that you hear stuff like that and you think like well they've got something figured out yeah. and and then you spend a lot of time trying to sort of like you know be the guy that that is on board with that <laughs> when really all you can <laughs> but then you go you end up taking people to events and they're like what is this and you're like just hang out and then at some point during one of those events you're like i don't even know why i'm here right. because i'm not necessarily enjoying myself yeah <clears throat> but i'm what i was getting at was that it 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 uh it it influenced you and 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 sort of you know you took the the parts of that you could wrap your brain around and just fucking ran with it yeah and, and i made songs yeah i like songs yeah so that's it <laughs> you write you write a lot of fucking songs yeah and i like them i love you know that's so that's it yeah. well, well well some of it's coming back too because there's a guy in radiohead now the uh, the guitar player johnny i guess is now it's almost he's almost exclusively playing with pedals mm-hmm. on stage like you, you know they're doing their their concert and mm-hmm. he's just at a console Right. You know, mm. making sounds. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so you put the band together to tour, and what'd you lose in doing that? Did It, did, it must have changed your sound. Because it did. I mean, it, it, it streamlined it. Yeah. So, you know, instead of playing every song having a different tuning, you know, all the songs would have one tuning or two, two or three tunings. Right. Because we literally could not be sitting there tuning guitars at every song because we were, our shows were already the worst shows <laughs> <laughs> or best slash best shows yeah. ever. But I mean, it was just a matter of like trying to make a show that was like kind of move one song after the other, trying to just like, you know, just get out of there without, every, you know, without everybody hating us yeah, and be able to come back. Right. And uh, so, yeah, we streamlined the sound a bit and 
um, we put out a we put out a you know couple of like electric records and then we put out a record called Bake Sale which was people really liked and they just they reissued that because I yep. know I've got the special reissued one yeah we reissued that a couple of years ago so those records you think like um, it, you know Bake Sale Harmacy and the Sebado th- mm. those are your most polished records yes. Yeah. Why do you why do you kind of yes yeah I don't know I don't know why I made a weird do, uh, do you like it? but no do you like them less or more than the other ones or I like Bake Sale a lot I love the I like the vibe holds on up it. dude man it's, it's great it's, it's a sweet record I mean yeah. I guess it's a, it's sweet I like the vibe of it yeah I like um uh, Harmacy was kind of rough because Sub Pop had put so much importance in us and we were supposed to go to this next level and they dumped you know God maybe millions of dollars on, into us or hundreds of thousands of dollars into that record into the idea that Sebade was going to go to the next level what know? does that mean for someone like Sub Pop the Nirvana level I mm. mean like I mean because when you really think about who really went to the next level from I just got a box from Sub Pop and you know I, and I love you know I love Mud Honey mm. I love uh, you know a lot of their bands the, the Screaming Trees I think were originally on Sub yep. Pop that whole yep. and I think I got that record Harmacy originally on Sub Pop because yep. there was a period there in like what was it like 91 or 92 this would be like Harmacy was 96 Oh, was that late? Yeah, there was. That, well, I, I guess I was involved in that first wave of the sub-pops. first wave was awesome. Yeah, like Mud Honey and yeah, and, but but right, Tad. I just Tad was at that thing, <laughs> That's dude. What I heard, yeah, yeah. That was pretty crazy. Yeah. And, and Jay does this thing where he just, he just goes on, walks on stage with a pedal board and a guitar. Mm-hmm. He's finally you know, perfected playing everything himself somehow. Yeah, live. I know he did it at Amoeba like, couple, like last week. You went great. over there. Yeah, it was really good. So you guys are okay. Yeah. No, no, he's got a kid. He's got a, he's got a five year old. No, oh, I know. Yeah, I like. And, yeah, and he's got a you know a, a spiritual system. He seems he seems pretty zen. He doesn't seem that aggravated. No, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he is, but I. Yeah, I mean, in general, I don't. I think he actually. It was kind of interesting to see him just to talk about him for a minute. That to see like you know because they had all those bands. They had Munhuddy, the Catheters, Mets. I mean, guys that right. were just like. Bleh! And then in the middle of this, on the main stage, you know, like we're we're at this backstage thing. They they had sort of given us a restaurant to hang mm-hmm. out at all day, mm-hmm. and Jay's sort of like, okay, you know. And then he just walks over by himself, mm-hmm. and in the middle of this, you know, what was like a you know loud ass rock show, one after the other, right. he just gets up there and sits down with his acoustic guitar, yeah. and starts layering. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of it, with this antique Gibson, I think he's playing, yeah. he'll just like, you know, he'll get a rhythm track going and just play Launch lead. into his solo. <laughs> yes. It's really funny. I it's mean, crazy. It's really funny how he does that. And actually, we're, he's gotten it, he's really perfected it, because it sounded really good at Amoeba the other day. I was like, because I always thought that was a little ridiculous. Right. <laughs> I always thought that was like, it's a little self-indulgent. You know, right. Playing leads on acoustic guitar. To your acoustic rhythm. <laughs> or yeah. just sometimes, sometimes he would just play the leads without the, the double underneath Right. It. Well, I think what it does, it's though, like, what, what I noticed was that like with the expectation of dinosaur fans mm-hmm. and the expectation of a rock show is that, you know, you, you know his melodies are pretty sweet, yeah, as are yours. Lead, and his leads are really good. Right. But like they're kind of waiting for the crunch. Yeah. So like there's some part of him yeah. that's sort of like, I got to deliver some he's crunch. Kinda, I, I think he's really lived into that, actually. <laughs> what, the crunch? The crunch and the, and doing that solo. You know, I, I really I was really impressed last time I saw him. So with... Um, but you did like uh, you did what like four solo records? Uh, I did a ton under the name Centrado solo. And what was I, it? What was it behind that name? Why did you? Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just some nonsense. <laughs> I just had. I, I just liked the way it sounded, and it was related to Sabado, and so people would know. 
I guess they would know. I mean, to me, it, I, it, to me, it fit some kind of grand plan that I had. So, I've kind of forgotten what that was, but... Well, then, yeah, well, you know, they come and go as yeah. you live longer. Yeah. But, like, getting back to Eric Gaffney and getting back to, you know, whatever issues you had with Jay, how do relationships and bands sort of begin to sort of break down? Why, after, what, two or three records, Eric Gaffney had, is gone? Um, Eric just really, um, he, while we were playing these shows, I mean, there was a pro- the problem that I, I would say was that the, we were putting out these records and people were really focusing on my songs because they were more melodic, they were yeah. more traditional. Eric was writing these impressionistic, I, amazing, like just chaotic songs, but with this real, with really cool lyrics in them. And, um, and, but he has a very unique voice, yeah. uh, that some people, you know, like or don't like, <laughs> like yeah. or don't like. Yeah. He's got it, uh, yeah, it divides people. So he has sort of a divisive musical presence on the records which i like but people started of course you know not of course but they started gravitating towards my songs and he felt that you know and then so there was nothing i could do to stop that from happening right even though like when we played live it was like no we we kept it really equal all the time i never like tried to step out like right because eric was such an incredibly gifted performer really and he loved being in front of people like we used to play you know we used to be downtown northampton and just he would just grab an acoustic guitar and just start improvising songs on the street corner and just like he was just this really provocative like lead yeah lead man you know yeah. so i mean and so when he would play guitar when sebado played we you know jason and i would assemble behind him and play as his band and when i would play they would assemble behind me and play as my band and i really liked that but eventually, like, Eric just really started chafing at that whole idea. Like, he just, because I think he really wanted to be in control. Yeah. And he kind of felt like I stole the control from him. It's, that's what, it, see, that's the same, that's all, I guess that is the fundamental issue with band dynamics. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that's what happened with Dinosaur Jr. That's what happened with, you know, whether it's real or not real, whether someone's like, fuck you, you're controlling, or right. you don't realize you're controlling, or right. that those kind of obstacles can't be negotiated sometimes. No, they, I mean, I took it as far as I could with Eric. I mean, he would always, he would quit the band whenever he felt like, and he would send me these really long letters that were all written in different color ink, and he would they, he would almost make them like collages. They kind of look like serial killer notes. You yeah. Know? When you, and he would just always pick out things like, you know, where I had insulted him at some point or just he would just he would dissect the way I had treated him and the way and just be like, OK, well, why don't you go live in Portland for a couple of months? And then if, when you're ready to come back, you know, give me a call, you know, and he would he would do that. So he would always come back and leave and come back. And then finally, finally, he sent me another one of these letters and he said, you know, I want one third of every record advance. You will not play on any of my songs. I will not go on tour, you know, just like. And I said, that's great. You're not in the band anymore. <laughs> like, sorry, that you can't be a guy who takes a third of our money, right? does all your own stuff, puts your songs in with mine, and never tours or plays my songs. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Like, that's wrong. Like, yeah. like you know, like, yeah, I had right. to put my foot down and just be like, like, that's not happening, yeah. friend. Like, anything else will happen as long as you, if you want to spend the time with me to make music and let me play your music and play my music, I'll do anything you want. I'll yeah. do any crazy shit you want to do. Right. I will continue to follow you into whatever weird territory you want to go to. I will be there. Yeah. I will be your man. I'll be your wingman. I'm, you know. Yeah. But that's too far. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's and then then it was just then years of him just writing me letters like you owe me a hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> you owe me. And then with the invention of like you know the net and email, 
um, I started, I just like had this, I just got this idea in my head, like I got to get Eric back, you know, like <laughs> I got to get him back. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so I spent like two years just emailing him constantly and addressing every single one of his points. Points. Yeah. You know? yeah. I don't owe you twenty thousand dollars because right. yeah. <laughs> like like you know when you think you know just and he had some wild stuff that he'd accuse me of that I would just you know really just go by at, point at, by point and just like say I didn't do that. At any point, did you like think like well maybe he's got some mental issues that he yeah, yeah of course yeah but everybody everybody <laughs> yeah. did yeah you know what I mean like sure. I mean Jay I mean he's uh, I there's something going on with sure, jay sure I yeah. Don't, <laughs> yeah there's some and, and then i mean uh, as i get older I, and look at myself and the clearer i can look at myself i'm like yeah i've got some issues too you know i played in a band called the folk implosion with a guy john davis who was just brilliant beautiful guy i mean he had some really serious issues well you yeah know? well what happened okay so what ultimately happened with you and eric um eric well we, we got him back in the band like 2007 yeah got him back in the band reissued some records went on tour he played drums for us yeah uh, um we, we got the old band back together again and we did we toured you know um europe and the u.s it went well yeah i think it went great um but somehow we lost six thousand dollars in the midst of one of these tours and we didn't know where it went mm. and so then it was like I had to like figure this out with Eric, who then of course said, "Well, there's six thousand dollars missing. You need to give me that money." I'm like, "I don't have that money. We all lost that money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like, that's not the way it works." And then and then from there, like, then from there it was like he just would then started just sending me more of these kind of letters, like you know, you insulted me on stage in Hamburg, and so I like right you did, it. you know, yeah. just like it was like okay, yeah. I'm, I mean, like I. You know, and, and then it just be, yeah, it just became about him just going through the minutia of all of the the horrible ways that I had like offended him or shamed him in public, and like okay, so that was it. That was it. I mean, yeah. and then you know, and I'm with Jason the whole time too, and Jason's a very no nonsense. Lowenstein, yeah, he's awesome. You know, really. And you guys are you got he seems stable. He's I haven't, stable. I, haven't heard the, I mean, he's <laughs> like, you, but he's you know, he's a guy who comes from absolute chaos in his background as much as anyone else. Like, there's people who come from chaos who hold that against the world, and there's yeah. people who come from chaos and are just like, you know, they don't, they're not chaos. They have a calm. They've got a calm. They've got a system. They've got a system. They've got a calm. Um, you know, and he's playing with you tomorrow. He's playing with me tomorrow with, uh, and we have a, a drummer named Bob D'Amico who plays had been playing with Jason for ages, and they were in a band called the Fiery Furnaces together. And uh, yeah, so we've got a new a new sabato that we've been playing for about two years, and we just did a record. So John Davis in the in the folk implosion. I mean, that was you know you did a song with him that became like a bonafide hit it, of sorts. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, that was cool. What's it called again? Natural one. Yeah. Yeah, it was on the radio. Yeah. It was like, no, like you know, Casey Kasem. And yeah, yeah. It was awesome. I mean, it was really sweet. Where are you at with that project? He, well, I did a record after, I moved out here and did two records in quick succession, succession like right. the, the Sebado, and mm -hmm. then I did this record called One Part Lullaby with the Folk Implosion, and that was the first record I put out on a major label. And It's weird, though, because all your records are, you know, are uniquely yours stylistically and melodically and writing-wise, but they, you know, some are, you know, stripped down. I mean, mm -hmm. they, like, uh, the Folk Explosion's a different sound. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It, that was like we were using lots of samples and yeah. all this, you know, almost like... Um, I mean, it was like trip hop influenced. It was poppy, but it also, you know, it was just, we were really stepping out and kind of like almost, it was a really, it was a sweet project. I loved it. 
And it, so you were a little more like uh, meticulous about the production. Yeah, we were. I mean, I had but we still were, doing what you want to do. Still doing exactly what I wanted yeah. to do, and um, and working really closely with my partners in the band and with John Davis, and then we had a guy Wally Gagel who produced the record, and we did this really beautiful record. And Jay, or excuse me, uh, John quit the day the record came out. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do to him, Lou? <laughs> How did you drive him crazy? <laughs> well, I mean, at the time, I mean, there was, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I was not in my, I was not in a great state at that time, for yeah. sure. But he, uh, you know, I was kind of a drug addict, and he was someone who was very. His whole life was very controlled. Like he, I mean, I can't really get too in depth about yeah. it, but he, he just everything had to be very controlled and very. And I was living in chaos. So that definitely, I think, for him, he probably needed to get away from me. At yeah. That point. What was the drug? What was your drug? Meth. Really? Yeah. Holy shit. You went down that hole? I did. For how long? Probably two years. Oh, my God. Do, do you do anything now? Uh, I drank a little bit. Yeah. Oh, so the, so you, you, were, you were nuts. I was nuts, yeah. How far nuts? Voices in your head nuts? Were you starting? I was getting there. I was getting to the voices stage, and then I um. Uh, what kind of saved me was I would go on tour. Yeah, and I went on tour, and I started drinking whiskey, and whiskey got me off of it, off of meth. Yeah, and then um, it's not the recommended treatment. No, but, you know, if it works, <laughs> it's not. I mean, like my, my whole life, I realized like at some point, like my life has always been like. You know, from the, the the introduction of like drugs into my life, it's been like a relay race. It's sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, marijuana hands it to <laughs> yeah, alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol yeah. takes it down. Oh, <laughs> back to marijuana. Marijuana to crystal methamphetamine. Oh, oh a slight detour into cocaine and ecstasy. No, back to yeah. meth. <laughs> Coming yeah. on the final stretch. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. getting a little old for that shit, right? No, I totally. I meth yeah. is meth is taxing. It's it's. it's yeah, I developed like facial tics. I still have. Yeah, yeah. Well, you kept your teeth and your hair. I did. So <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't. I did. You didn't commit that much. No, no, I can't because I'm not really. I'm not really self. I'm not. I'm not a self-destructive person. You're self-medicating person. Yeah, but even that, I don't even know why I have to feel like I have to medicate because I don't. Because you're a sensitive guy. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> maybe. maybe. But maybe. I don't. You know, I mean, I, I mean, alcohol help. That's a really good social thing for me. Do you have okay. like? A, do you, are you an anxious guy? I'm pretty anxious, but I know so many people that are so much more anxious than I am yeah. that it makes me kind of back off, and I can't afford to be anxious. Like I can't, I can't afford to be afraid to fly. Right. No. Right. I right. can't afford to be like like freaked out that I'm going over a bridge. I can't right. be. A, I can't afford to freak out about going through a tunnel. But I mean, I do you, but would you be if you don't have the self talk around that? <laughs> I mean, like I have, I have tendencies. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. because like I, I tended to. You know, my first reaction when I have a lot of things to do is not like I'm going to get them done. It's like fuck, uh, just <laughs> dread. Just like yeah, you know, it's right. like I got to. And that creates a fucking. Yeah, I need to calm down. I yeah. eat these nicotine lozenges. Yeah. I don't drink or do drugs anymore. It's just all coffee and I nicotine. I would, I would. What? I would love not to do anything. Yeah. I'd love to not drink and. Because just possible. physically, it's just really. Yeah. Physically, it just it really wear it just wears you yeah. down. Even just a couple of glasses of wine a night, I'm like, Ugh. Yeah. it just kind of makes gives me a headache. You and know that's called you're getting old. Why <laughs> well, no? I'm I embrace it. I I don't mind getting old. I'm fine with it. You know. How many kids you got? Two. Yeah. And they're and they live here. They live here. They live in Silver Lake with yeah. their mother. 
Yeah, so that's that fell apart. That fell apart like eight months ago. Uh, so you're in the middle of it. <laughs> I'm I'm going to a a meeting with my my ex soon to be ex wife and her lawyer, oh. like in about three hours um, with my lawyer. Because they sent me a court order. That she was like, she told me she wouldn't send me a court order, and then she did. Let me tell you one oh. thing. I'll tell you one thing about this. <laughs> I got no kids, mm-hmm. and a lot of what you're putting on her is her lawyer. That lawyers turn oh, them know. out. Oh, I know. I yeah, see they, it. I'm because I'm. I would just I'd be like, "What are you doing?" And I'd yeah. like, "I got the court order. What are you doing?" That her lawyer <laughs> she's is going to ruin us. <laughs> like, what are you like? Oh, man, she's going to ruin us. I mean, like, if you think you're doing this out of self-interest or she's talked you into it or your friends have talked you into thinking you're doing it out of your self-interest, you're actually destroying the two of us. Right. Yeah, they, 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 they demonize you. They, they, what the lawyer starts to do is like, he's hiding money. Oh, and yeah. And it, oh, yeah. That's totally happening because I, I, my job is so bizarre. Right. When you're an independent contractor and, you know, you have a, a business, mm-hmm. then, you know, they, they, they'll start, and then you're, they're going to fucking drag you through a disclosure process. Oh, yeah. Where no, you, they want a forensic, oh. I'd never heard this term, forensic accountant. That's a new, new I'm term. sorry you're going through that, dude. <laughs> and you can't, like, is it, is it hostile? I mean, was she hostile when you separated? Oh, she was bummed. Yeah. I mean, I, I did. I was the the big bad guy. I mean, I broke up with her. I mean, I right. did the whole classic, yeah, you know, middle age kind of. But yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I fell in love with someone else, and oh uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, are you with that person now? Yeah. All right. Well, you're gonna have to ride this out, buddy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm like, if I can do it, if I can do it without just internalizing all the the pressure and somehow it manifesting itself physically, like I'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I, mean, I know mentally, like I'm I'm pretty like. There's a lot of, I mean, my kids are a great source of like joy in my life. I mean, in in a certain way, like having them outside of the of the the sort of structure that I was living with them in before, right? Has been like, like a huge gift for me. Yeah, really getting to know them and in a way that. And I'd, she's not trying to take them away. No, They're, you're going to split that up pretty good. Yeah, as much as I can. I mean, I tour all the time, yeah. so that's hard. But well, here, I'll just tell you what's going to happen. You're <laughs> you're going to be dragged through a bunch of bullshit until you finally go. All right, how much is it going to take to stop this? Yeah, that's what's going to happen. So you might want to get there sooner than later. <laughs> because oh, no, I know that was that was the whole thing. Is like this this meeting I was going to do today. I'm like, I can't do this. I told my lawyer, like, I can't do this meeting. I'm I'm going to be on a really cool podcast today, and I got to practice with my band. And he's just like, Lou. <laughs> If we don't do this, <laughs> you don't do this meeting today because I'm leaving on a tour tomorrow. It's like, and then the court order is supposed to go through. I mean, it's like just last minute mind fuck. There's know. there's no justice. <laughs> okay, there there whatever you think is right doesn't matter. I know. And and the, the the quicker you settle it, the less money, you, the less of your money the lawyers will get. I tell you, the good thing, I mean, to tie this into what yeah. we were talking about is like my relationship with my bandmates. Right. I mean, like I got used to like dealing with with. Illogic. I mean, like logic has nothing to do with it. Either right. you want to work it out with somebody, and you have to do it on on their terms to a degree. I sure. mean, like you have to say, okay, this is this is nuts, but if you feel this is what's happening, I'm going to acknowledge this from you, and I'm going right. to acknowledge that reality instead of fighting against it. I'm right. going to acknowledge it and allow it. You know. I mean, allow it to the point where I'm not just completely destroying myself at the same time. I mean, that's the balance, really. right? But it's uh, the the big the big bad part of the divorcing is like the guy with the whoever's got the money. That's 
That's, it's all good. You're going to pay for her lawyer. You're okay. going to pay for your okay. lawyer. You're going to pay her what she needs. And it's like if you can, you know, you just want to at some point stop hemorrhaging the money because oh, yeah. the lawyers, like, you know, really, it's in their interest to drag it out as long as possible. I know. And they, well, yeah, it's cool. they're they're doing a great job at in that, that re- respect. <laughs> They're doing a good job. It's definitely entered. Like, I remember these like funny conversations that uh, my ex-wife had, or soon to be ex had, you know, early on, which is like, yeah, let's just, you know, this is going to be a mediation, right? This is going to be good. I think we can do this. It'll be best for the kids. It'll be good for us. Yeah, no court order. You know, she's like, oh. My friends are telling me to get a quarter. Friends, I'm like, well, you know, yeah. um, my, we, we shouldn't really do that. And she's like, I know we shouldn't do yeah, that. Yeah. Let's just kind of, you know, yeah, we could yeah. probably get this thing wrapped up in yeah. maybe two, three months, yeah, you know, yeah. before. And now the friends have gotten in her head. <laughs> the lawyer's gotten in her head. You're a monster. I'm, you have a Swiss bank account now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, you have millions of dollars that I don't know about. And yeah, they wanna, they, they, one of the great things is they want to have all my stuff appraised, all my instruments appraised i'm oh, like i'm no, like i am not no. like here's the thing is like i'm not a collector by any means i use the barest minimum of what i possibly can use and i've always done that just because i you know i channel money my money into into my house into mm-hmm. my home into my children and uh that's what i've always done i have maybe three thousand dollars worth of equipment which is pretty modest you know yeah. a handful of guitars they want to pay two thousand dollars to get a, a a guy to go in and appraise my stuff. What it's so that I'm gonna pay for. It's so <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Just, just ask her. Just say how much does she want? How much does she can I? Oh, she, I know what she wants, and that's too much. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Then, then, then it's gonna. <laughs> no, I mean it's too much. It's devastating. But yeah. we'll figure. I don't know. It'll. I'm. You know, a year. I just keep thinking. It's like you know, a year from now, the, you know, the lay of land's gonna be a little different. Yeah. You know, and. And your catalog does pretty well, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Record sales aren't what make my money, you know. It's touring. It's touring. It's totally touring. And then, you know, odd royalties, I guess. It all, it, it accumulates. I mean, it just sort of, it's... Yeah. But it's so random. It is. You just don't it's know like, Oh, I got a, you know, $2,000 check today. What? what like, what? what? Yeah, <laughs> like, where did that come from? Yeah. Okay. That's like, great. <laughs> it's like every day's Christmas. You know, like, where did that come from? I mean, thank God. Well, but when you did the tour, like when you regrouped with Dinosaur, what was it? Three years ago? Four years ago? For that first uh, Eight tour? years ago. Already? Hmm. I mean, was that... You know, did that change everything personally and mentally for you around all that stuff? Did you get closure? Did you think I the did, band yeah. played well? I did. I got. I totally. Whose got, idea was that? Um, it was Jay's manager's idea. Oh yeah, someone's yeah. like, "Hey, we can make some money." Yeah, because yeah. they were. Re- you know, Jay had finally worked and you know sort of perfected the reissues of the first three records, and then said, um, "Yeah." Then the manager, his manager, was like, "We got to do a reunion tour," and Jay was not into it. And then, you know, Jay had terms for, you know, how much money he wanted out of it. And I yeah. actually called Jay and said, dude, seriously, do you really want, like, you know, X amount of money? I mean, that's not fair, you know? Yeah. It's like, I don't care. I don't want to do this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then I was just, then I was just weighed with like, okay, do I just say, you know, like, oh, well, then I'm not doing it. Yeah. Or do I just go, I'm going to do it because I want to do it. Yeah. Because I want to do it personally. I want to play the songs again. I want to. I want to be a part of this. And you did get some closure? You did? Yeah, I said, okay, I'm going to be a part of it. And I did it. And I'm glad I did. And, you know. And you guys are better because of it? And- I think we're better because of it. I think the cool thing about what I do with Jay or the relationship I have with him is it always feels like it's evolving you yeah. know, in some way. Like, even though it's like glacial, you know, and sometimes almost totally imperceptible. And sometimes it seems to be moving backwards. But in general, it's like, this is moving. This is still moving towards something. I don't. 
We get older, you know. I yeah. mean, even when I talk to him, like, and I don't know him from anybody, but you could tell that he had some sort of cosmic shift in his life, you know. Yeah. And now you're gonna, you're you're, you're gonna get one. <laughs> you're yeah. gonna get it. <laughs> you're at the beginning yeah. of a, a yeah. life-defining bit of business. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the point. What so, the life defining? Yeah, I wanted something to. And how do you feel about the new record? I mean, is it different for you? Is it, uh, you know, what what did you do differently? And how uh, how does it compare to some of the older stuff in uh, your mind, creatively? Crea- creatively, it reminds me of just the older stuff because we did it all ourselves. You know, yeah. I, had, I had a practice space over in Glendale that we knocked and we recorded all the basics in Glendale. Yeah. My space and uh, did it all ourselves. Jason is the engineer, totally self-contained, you know. Um you know, I had a friend of mine mix my songs, but I mean, and then, of course, going through all the stuff that I'm going through too, like it really focused me on finishing. Oh, yeah. Just like immediately, like bam, 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 like all this stuff just started coming together. Like yeah. the words started to, you know. Whereas before, I'd be like, "What's the next line? I don't know," because yeah. I can't even I can't even be honest with myself because if I'm honest here, I've got to be honest. To, you know what I mean? It's, what, it's just yeah. like the honesty part of it. I was really stuck. That's a little of, bit theme with you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't remember. The other thing is, I can't remember my lyrics unless I know if I'm unless I'm singing something that that I'm going through or that I I believe in or that that is happening because I can't, I just can't. It's I can't, not immediate. You can't just. I, I can't access it in my brain. I don't right. like. I just can't. If I'm making stuff up or trying to be clever, or, it's like I or writing from someone else's point of view. I just can't remember the lyrics. I'm the same way. Like it, everything's very immediate for me. And like I did a show that was like I was. I did a show about my divorce and separation during the separation. <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. like, and it was so clear right. that I needed to have the conversation publicly yeah. in order for me to fucking process it. Yeah. Is that the same way we it is? That is like that. Because like a lot of people are like, why don't you play that song or why don't you do that bit anymore? It's like, because I'm fucking done. <laughs> I, can't, I can't go back there. I mean, you have distance and sometimes songs and I imagine you know some comedy transcends the feelings that are immediate, but right. to really get behind it, yeah. yeah, it's not it's not the same. What was that? What did you feel like when you were playing those dinosaur songs? Was it just fun to be part of it? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I love dinosaur songs. Yeah, I love them. I mean, I, I love the records. You know, it's sort of heartbreaking that you guys have the relationship you do. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I spend a lot of time. I spend too much time. I think about all of it a lot. So you I do. <laughs> like in in what sense? Regrets or no? Not regrets. I guess I'm always trying to like. This was something, I mean, it kept me with uh, my wife for so long, 25 years. It's like, I'm always figuring out- for 25 years? 25 years. I'm always trying to figure out ways- Was she the girl that Jay was jealous of immediately, yes. initially? Yeah, she was my first, you know. Really? Yeah. So, I spend a lot of my time, when things go wrong, I spend a lot of my time figuring out what I did wrong. Yeah. Or, and figuring out ways around it, or figuring out, just trying to get in and trying to, trying to understand it. Because sometimes if someone presents me with something that I, I find unacceptable, it's like- well, what do I do? Like, just carry this around? Like, that's unacceptable. You know, or do I try to understand what this other person is going through right. and maybe gain? That's how I'm going to gain closure. They're not going to give it to me. Yeah. I mean, most people are just not going to hand that to me. They no. don't have the ability to do that. Most yeah. people do not have the ability it's to on, give you closure for things. You yeah, know, and it's like, on you. You got to take it. It's kind of up to you. Exactly. It's up to me to do that. So, I mean, and that's a lot of ways with my relationships with Jay, you know, Eric Gaffney, John Davis. My wife, yeah, you know. Um, well, that's a that's a like those that's are a, spent. I spend my time 
Yeah. Thinking into it, getting into it, figuring out what I need to do to either make it go further or, but you know, now that I'm getting older, it's like, fuck, you know, some things I'm like, you know, with Eric Gaffney, it's like, I'm not doing that. It's too far. Yeah. You've well, there's a, there's, a, there's an interesting thing in the, uh, if you get into like uh, the recovery model, you know, of not mm. drinking shit, right. there's that inventory thing. Right. Like there's this thing where it's designed to, to sort of enable people who have somehow destroyed their life or ruminate on whatever that damage was. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of like, you, you, you make this big list of people and you say like how they wronged you uh-huh. and then you put your part in it and then you put like, you know, what part of me does that affect? And then you get this big long diagram list of exactly how you're an asshole or how you're not but you know how to take responsibility for that shit to mm-hmm. just say like i did what i could mm-hmm. i i you know I, i'm contrite i apologize you know i you know this is what i did in that if you don't want to accept my apology i did my part that's it mm-hmm. and then and then you, you know, after that you either choose to ruminate or not <laughs> right 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 <laughs> yeah. it's hard to cleanse that shit mm. but i mean i i know that that fucking struggle you know mm. what i mean yeah well, I mean, I mean, you sound pretty good. I mean, I don't know you, but you sound you sound all right. <laughs> no, I'm I'm living with my girlfriend and going on tour and playing music that, with my friends. That awesome. I, so, you want to play some music? Do you want to do a song? Oh yeah. Okay. Are you ready? Is that is that a uh, what you call that's a ukulele? This is that's a baritone ukulele. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, I am ready. Okay. got the calves of champions they greet the warmest way they are the dads the man ones they've got some money saved another shade of fear another door you shove through until you conquer your fear
struggles to hurt and grow. That's the hardest thing I have done, and I haven't even done it yet. Thought I was wise, averted my eyes, avoided the light, went head down through it. But I was wrong, I've gotta be strong and hold my Awesome, man. This is an old song. The last song was a new song. Great. Oh, good. I love that little thing. Yeah, this thing's great. Thanks for talking to me, Lou. No problem. Thank you for talking to me. All right, that's it. That's the show. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I fucking love when musicians play in here. It's fucking beautiful. Intense guy. Great conversation. It was great to hear the other side of some of that Dinosaur Junior stuff. 
Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Check the merch section. Things are happening. Ceramic mugs should be there. Regular mugs should be there. Uh, cap bowls, T-shirts, all that stuff should be there and available to you. Some posters there. Uh, some of those posters are, are you know single printings, but uh, we got most of them. Will Farrell on Monday. Ken Marino this Thursday. I'll be on uh, the Pete Holmes show tonight also. Oh, I, uh, I went to the gym. I'm back in. I'm back. I did. I did a day. So that that could that could either be back in or just an anomaly. We'll see. We'll see. Boomer lives. 